I want to welcome everyone. Is that, how is the sound level? Is it okay? Not too loud? I think we're okay. So for anyone whom I haven't met or haven't, hasn't met me, my name is Donald Rothberg. I want to welcome you to this Wednesday gathering. And um, we start typically with a meditation, and then we have a short group practice, uh, last five or six minutes of the uh, practice session, have some announcements, a little bit of a break, and come back for talk and discussion, sometimes practices. So I want to ask, is there anyone here who is new to basic mindfulness practice or significantly rusty? Raise your hand. Okay. So I'll give very uh, basic instructions. And again, this can be a refresher for those who are uh, fairly experienced. And you can either listen or tune me out. That's okay. So... But first helpful is to find a posture in which you can be alert and relaxed. If you're in a chair, the basic guidelines are to, as much as possible, have the back straight, a sense of the spine from the back of the head, chest open, the sense of connecting well with the floor or ground. Again, the intention is to be both relaxed and alert at the same time, which in our culture is often uh, not seen as a likely combination, right? So we want to do both. And and check your posture during the session. A second very helpful way to start is to set your intention. We can do that in two main ways. First is to connect with, and I'll, I'll give a little bit of a pause after I talk about the intention for us to work with this. First aspect of intention is to connect with your more general and and deeper intention. We could call this your global intention. What's my intention for mm, training here? Maybe to develop in wisdom and compassion, skillful action, open the heart, whatever is there in your own language is good to check in with. And then the second aspect of intention that can be very helpful is just to ask, what's the state of my mind right now? And then what's a skillful way to proceed in this 30 or 40 minutes? So my state of my mind might be um, pretty alert, rested. Okay, just be present, go forward. But it might be that I'm a little bit distracted. I have something on my mind. And you know, if you're experienced, you might try to calm the mind some with some practice like concentration practice or loving kindness practice Uh, but just to know what the current state of the mind is and then ask what's a skillful way to work this next 30 or 40 minutes okay so let me give a little bit of time for that right now both of those
And then our basic mindfulness practice has two main phases or two main stages. First, we stabilize attention, become less distracted. This can take uh, much of the session or part of it. And then the second phase is that we then try to see clearly. We look carefully at whatever is happening in experience. So for the first phase, we typically are with the breath. We're with what we sometimes call an anchor object. We focus on that. And we, uh, for people who are newer, it's a, one can focus on the breath, or if the breath is not neutral, not emotionally neutral, we can focus on the sensations of the hands, or contact with the chair or cushion, or sound. But I'll speak about the breath, uh, but if you're not working with the breath, you can just translate. So we try to see where the breath is easiest to follow, sometimes the belly, might be, for some of us, the belly might be appropriate. For some of us, the area of the chest. For some of us, the area around the nostrils. And we just try to stay with the breath at the level of sensation. Just choose one of those areas. Stay with the breath at the level of sensation. When the mind wanders, we notice that and simply come back. It can be helpful to make a mental note in and out, maybe 5% of the attention, most of the attention on the sensation. This can help anchor us, also helpful to focus on the pause, maybe just say in, out, pause, just could be maybe half a second, bring our attention maybe to our hands or to the body, keep it there and then wait for the next breath to occur, then shift right to the in-breath, can make the label in and so forth. And that system of labeling can really help to uh, work through uh, wandering mind, distracted mind. It's an optional technique, but it can be very helpful. The key is to have uh, 90-95% of the attention on the sensations of the breath. And you could say in, out, pause. When you pause again, shift to the hands or the body. It can feel awkward at first, but you get used to it pretty soon. And the second phase is to attend to the breath. And whenever anything takes your attention away from the breath, notice where it's gone. And the second phase, you can make a mental label planning, remembering for thoughts that just come and go quickly. When something lasts for a while, maybe a sensation, sensations in the shoulder or knee or whatever, you notice sensations, they take your attention, Uh, Just stay with that until they're no longer predominant or you're not sure what's predominant, then come back to your breath or whatever is your anchor object. And so we stay with the breath, but whenever something else takes our attention, we go there. If it's just momentary, like a, a thought, we just notice it and come back to the breath. If it takes a little longer, maybe an emotion, irritation, uh, happiness, whatever, we stay with that and experience what that's like in the body, what's the emotional energy like. We stay with that as long as it's predominant. When it's no longer predominant, we simply come back to the breath. Okay, so we'll, we'll sit in silence now.
If the mind wanders, notice that. As much as possible, very matter-of-factly, just keep coming back.
As we continue to sit quietly, we'll enter into the short group practice that we do at the end of the silent session, where we create a space for those who would like to speak uh, briefly to, on the one hand, speak about a person or situation, organization, part of the world, where there's a need for care or compassion. And on the other hand, um, an individual uh, situation, organization, part of the world where there's an occasion for appreciation or gratitude, celebration perhaps. And in both cases, the person could be oneself. The invitation is to speak maybe twice as loudly as you might ordinarily, so someone on the other side of the hall can, can hear. Be on the brief side, but still give enough detail so we know what's happening.
If anyone else would like to speak, now is the time. So again, uh, good morning, everyone. And again, for anyone whom I haven't met, my name is Donald Rothberg. I share the teaching on these Wednesdays with uh, Sylvia Borstein. And anyone who's here for the first time, I invite you to say your name and where you live. Anyone here for the first time to the Wednesday gathering? Please. My name's Todd. I live right down the street. Great. Yeah, Welcome. Please. My name is Starla and I live in San Francisco. Yeah, welcome. Please. My name is Mario. I'm from Argentina. Ah, welcome. What part in Argentina? Ah, from the, from the capital. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, Buddhist practice there, isn't there? Yeah, I, I have a friend who, has, uh, who does Tibetan practice who has a center in Buenos Aires. Yeah. Please. Also, okay, very good. Welcome. <laughs> Great, so we typically have a, a few announcements and then a little bit of time, usually eight or ten minutes for talking with other people, using the bathroom, um, sometimes wandering into the bookstore, although be careful, we've lost some people at times. There, and we, we ring some bells to bring people back. So, I think uh, maybe first uh, Juliana has a has a. Uh, Juliana is our coordinator of uh, volunteers, and also uh, an author on uh, sustainability and environmental issues. Thanks, Donald. I just wanted to thank all my volunteers who are here today. Um, there are volunteers who support every event that we run here at Spirit Rock, and there's some very dedicated volunteers who come here every Wednesday. And today, a few of them weren't here, so I got to help out, and, um, and that's been really fun. And I thought I would take this opportunity to just announce that I'm looking for volunteers coming up um, for a couple of events. One is on Sunday with uh, Kevin Griffin, and there's a sign-up for that outside in the tea area on the table. And there's also a flyer there that describes some other kinds of shifts that you can do here if you've been on retreat or even if you haven't. It can be um, nice to do the role of uh, greeting new people who come, come on retreat and helping to orient them. So that's something I'm looking for help with in the, in the next week or so. Our housekeeping crew always needs some help, um, land, landscaping. So um, that's listed there on the flyer that you'll find on the little round table in the tea area. And um, my card is up at the, the window at the front office. I'm Juliana. Um, there's some applications in the hall. So get in touch with me if you're interested in, in volunteering. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thanks, Juliana, and thanks to all of our, all of our volunteers. Um, so I have my typical announcements, which is uh, that I have on the table back there uh, a flyer with my uh, teaching schedule for the next few months. Um, one particular event, which will be happening in this building, I wanted to announce I have flyers there. It's a um, three-day retreat on a theme which I often teach on. I'm working on a book on called Transforming the Judgmental Mind. And it'll be right after Thanksgiving, so that'll be good for some of you and not good for others. <laughs> so, so it starts, it's the Friday to Sunday right after. And I'll combine, it'll be three days, non-residential, so like 10 to 5 each day. And we'll combine uh, uh, a lot of, pretty, going pretty deeply into the topic in three days. But I'm, I'm be um, co-teaching with a friend and colleague named Marisa Handler, who's going to bring in the work of Byron Katie. And we'll be combining those, where Byron Katie has a very uh, powerful form of inquiry, which is particularly helpful if one has a fairly chronic or stuck uh, view or belief. It tends to get burned up by her method. So anyway... So uh, there are flyers on that. And I, I also have a few uh, copies of the book which I did, which is about connecting inner work with social service and social change work called The Engaged Spiritual Life. The book's out on the table. And I do in that book, there is material on the content from last week and also what we're working with this week, which is on skillful speech. And so I think that's it for my announcements. Other announcements? Uh, Anne, please. Yeah. Thank you, Anne. And so we have time for a break now. We'll ring uh, a bell. I'll ring a bell with two or three minutes to come. We'll also have a bell rung in, in the uh, bookstore area because I think can't can't hear the bells from there. But try to come. We'll start right about 11. Uh, so I'll ring some bells a few minutes before. I'm gonna, I'll get settled here. And then uh, if there is anyone who just has a, a practice question, and you wanted to come up, especially you know, if you're new or had some questions about the instructions, just give me about three or four minutes to get organized here, and then you could come up. I could one-on-one -on -one just answer any, try to answer any question. Okay, so we'll ring bells to call you back about 11 o'clock. See, Bill, a, a request. Um, usually I have a extension cord 
uh, for my own recording device, which is not here today.
It's one other announcement uh, is that uh, I had a handout last week on skillful speech. And if you weren't there last week and you wanted to get the handout, uh, it's on the chair right near the back. If you were, if you were there uh, and have one, maybe let it be there for people who weren't there last week. If we could call people in from the foyer, we want to start in about two or three minutes. Like that did it. (laughs) One announcement I, I forgot to give is that uh, next week, uh, Heidi Bourne will be here. And Heidi has often come and I think been very well received. And she lives in Humboldt County and works uh, closely with me. We're going to be doing a day-long together in January on uh, the end of dukkha, the end of what usually translated as suffering or the end of reactivity. So... And she's a, uh, as many of you know, she's a small business owner and has a lot of very practical experience. So she'll be here next week. And I'm going to take a trip, uh, as I often do in the fall, to what uh, I've been calling recently the mysterious East, meaning uh, North Carolina and Kentucky. (laughs) So I, I typically teach there around the time of the elections. 
so okay. We'll have reports when I come back. What? North Carolina and Kentucky? Okay. Okay, Bill, we can we'll start can start right now. The recording. Uh, Bill? Okay, okay. Okay, we'll start right now. Last week, we explored the theme of cultivating wise speech or skillful speech. And I invited people who were there last time to take the week to really focus on some of the perspectives and practices that were introduced last week. How many of you did that? That's great. And I'm going to invite that again for the coming week following our session today because it can really help to have sustained interest and application of particular teaching and practices for a period of time. It takes a few weeks to internalize the practices so they become part of your own uh, way of being more and more. So what I want to do this time is to review some of what I covered last time, which was about the importance of wise speech or skillful speech in our practice and the, some of the foundational understandings and practices for skillful speech. I want to review that, go a little bit further, and then as I mentioned last time, begin to apply the uh, teachings and practices to being with difficult or challenging speech situations. How do we, how do we work... How do we bring our practice of skillful speech to times when there are challenges? Okay. Uh, which could be, um, could happen right when you leave here. <laughs> Very possible. So, uh, begin with a quotation. I'll, I'll, I'll review briefly. And again, I, I think I want to have also, as we did last time, a period of practice where we can actually be in dyads and explore some of the practices that we've been doing. And for those who weren't here last time, the recording from last time is on the website uh, dharmaseed.org.org, D-H-A-R-M-A-S-E-E-D. So the, uh, yeah, the full recording of our session is is there and will be there indefinitely and of course is there uh, as an offering and one can if one wishes support that organization which is doing such amazing work most of as many of you know most of the talks and sessions at spirit rock are recorded and put on a website as a free offering so there are thousands of talks you know some people listen to a talk every day can be very helpful. So I think I got quite interested in speech practice, um, particularly when a close friend of mine, this was probably 30 years ago, maybe longer, told me, Donald, you don't really practice right speech, do you? (laughs) It was a challenge. And at the time, I was tempted to react and offer unwise speech in order to show how I followed wise speech. But I, I didn't do that. But it actually, um, you know, this is the, sometimes the benefit 
of feedback from people we care for that it actually helped. And I said, I had to look honestly, and I said, she was right, that I was not always so mindful or wise or skillful. And it, it started a, an interest in wise speech, and that, that interest was particularly sparked maybe starting over 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when I started being involved more with trainings and practices for people who were doing social service and social change work. And, of course, skillful speech is crucial for anyone engaged in the world. And so it became a central part of those trainings, which, again, we, I think we started the trainings uh, well over 20 years ago and uh, in, a, in a lot of different settings. And then uh, I started doing day-longs on skillful speech, and I think about 13 years ago I started offering retreats, which I would co-teach on the topic of wise speech. So it's been, a, been an interest of mine. So I'll, I'll go over briefly some of the foundations, then extend it to how we can approach difficult circumstances. We'll do a practice, then we'll talk together. Okay, that's the, that's the uh, outline for, for today. So from the Buddha, this gives uh, a sense of one of the foundations of skillful speech, which are the uh, offering that we have from the Buddhist tradition, from the teachings of the Buddha, on the guidelines for skillful speech. A statement endowed with five factors is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. It is blameless and unfaulted by knowledgeable people. Which five? It is spoken at the right time. It is spoken in truth. It is spoken affectionately. It is spoken beneficially. It is spoken with a mind of goodwill. And so the core teachings that we have from the historical Buddha are particularly about developing skillful speech through these ethical guidelines. Now, I want to back up and say that, as many of you know, wise speech, sometimes translated as right speech, is um, one of the eight factors of the core model of training given by the Buddha called the Noble Eightfold Path. And I want to find that very significant. As I mentioned last time, what that means, one of the key understandings of the eight factors of the path is that all of the factors are interrelated and necessary for the path. So if you're practicing skillful speech, you're also practicing mindfulness. You're also developing wisdom. You're also engaging in, other, in the following of other ethical guidelines. And so speech practice is intimately related to all of these and we'll, I'll bring that out. So I think when, when we see these guidelines of being, I, mean, I, I reconstruct them as four guidelines, being truthful, helpful, coming out of a warm heart, a good heart, and having uh, appropriateness, particularly good timing, that when we look to those four, those are all very much related to these other factors of practice. And I, I like to interpret the guidelines as having two main Emphases. One is that they're behavioral guidelines. They, they can guide our action and our behavior. And of course, we can check our action and behavior and see, am I following the guideline of truthfulness? Am I following 
the guideline of helpfulness. And I can see if I'm not. And the second area where it comes in is that when we find ourselves not following the guideline or a particular guideline, we can ask ourselves, what's happening in me? And we can apply mindfulness. You know, what's going on with me? I'm uh, here and I'm exaggerating something about myself to make an impression. What's going on? Or, you know, as I found um, when I was a teenager, I thought that I had big feet. Probably none of you have looked at my feet and (laughs) had comments, but as a teenager, you know, there's a lot that's wrong with one's own body. (laughs) Right? Anyone relate to that? From, from, or watching teenagers now, it's, it's a big thing, right? right? And so for me, I, you know, and my feet, by the way, weren't the only thing that was problematic, but I won't go into that further. You know, so my, I thought my feet were too big, and when someone asked me, you know, I, I mean, I, have, I don't think I've been asked much since I was a teenager what size shoes you wear, but when I was asked, I would always ratchet it down a size or two. <laughs> And so, but something like that happens now and we can look, okay, what's going on? Let me be mindful. What's happening? I'm not being helpful. I'm not, I'm not coming out of a good heart. So let me, let me say a little bit about these uh, four guidelines uh, just to review some uh, because they're each uh, very, very crucial. So we have the uh, first guideline is truthfulness and this is sometimes when, when the teachings on wise speech are condensed, sometimes it's said that truthfulness is the most important thing. In Mahayana tradition, it's said that a bodhisattva can, can sometimes, in extreme situations, break any of the ethical precepts, but not truthfulness. It's taken to be very, very central. And um, again, what we want to look for is not just when we are telling outright lies, but also when we may be exaggerating, omitting, telling half-truths, all the different ways that we aren't fully truthful. And we want to look carefully at that. Again, if we were going into detail on the guideline, there'd be a lot that we would talk about. There are a lot of subtleties to all of this. You know, it's not, uh, not always straightforward. You know, we can ask... Okay, uh, when, you know, when do I not tell the full truth? Well, some circumstances, clearly, right? And, and so we have, that, we have that, that guideline of being truthful. And as I mentioned last time, there is a social dimension to all of these guidelines. And in fact, I think, especially in these times, uh, following the ethical guidelines generally, but speech, and, speech specifically, can be a form of activism. You know, to really want to, for there to be truthfulness and to ask for there to be truthfulness of one's representatives of the government and so forth. You know, and it's, it's, as I mentioned last time, we're at a dangerous place with truthfulness generally in, in the society. And, you know, when, when I've sometimes uh, done uh, newspaper clippings, you know, there were, I, I came across one uh, Supreme Court ruling where there was um, a woman named Jennifer Harbury who uh, requested the truth from the U.S. government about what had happened to her husband, 
Her husband was a member of the opposition in uh, uh, Guatemala and was actually killed by the Guatemalan military in conjunction with the CIA. And she brought a lawsuit to try to get the full information about what had happened to her husband and, and was opposed by the government at the time. This was actually during the George Bush administration. Was opposed by the government and the, um, solicit- the solicitor general uh, said, and this is a quote, uh, where he actually said, for the Supreme Court to use utmost caution before interpreting the Constitution as guaranteeing citizens a truthful response from the government. He said, it is very easy to imagine an infinite number of situations where government officials might quite legitimately have reasons to give false information. (laughs) Unfortunately, the Supreme Court agreed with him and said that individuals could not sue the government for lying. Okay, so right speech activists, you have your material before you if you want to follow that. So all of these uh, guidelines have social dimensions. Helpfulness is a second guideline, very, very crucial. We want to ask, am I being helpful? And again, this is this, what is important here uh, is that we want to work with all of the guidelines. We don't just work with truthfulness. So if we are being, if we are following skillful speech, it's possible just to be truthful but not helpful. And that's a problem, right? And we know that we're sometimes truthful and we use truth sometimes as a weapon when we're with someone else. So we want to bring in all of the guidelines. So it's actually pretty radical to bring in all of these guidelines. We want to be helpful. We want to, again, notice what's happening when I'm not helpful. The third guideline is coming from a kind heart. As I mentioned last time, we can come from a kind heart uh, in many different ways, and it doesn't necessarily mean being overly nice, that I can still have a kind heart when I'm saying something difficult or in a difficult conversation or when I need to set a boundary, say no, and so forth. So this is really saying, you know, as we have in the guidelines for loving-kindness practice, that we want as much as possible to come from a kind heart all the time not just when things are easy, right? So that's the third guideline. And again, can be very powerful. And we can, again, look at what gets in the way of that for me, what shuts me off from the kind heart. A lot of things do. And then the fourth uh, guideline is appropriateness and, I, and specifically timing, that it's very crucial, especially for a difficult conversation, to keep on asking, is this a good time? And really, and it's typically not a good time when I or the other is reactive or not in a place to really listen with care, right? And so we want to ask about, we want to ask about timing and very, very crucial. And also, is this, is this speech really, um, mm, is it just distracted speech? The Buddha also emphasized for this last category what's translated in some of the translations as gossip, which I think was really meaning distracted speech, which is going nowhere and dredging up negative tendencies. 
right? You know, when we're just gossiping about someone and getting into negativity. So that's so that's the last one to really look about look at appropriateness and timing. And again, using these as both guidelines for our behavior, but particularly seeing what's happening when we seem to be violating the guidelines. And uh, as I mentioned last time, we can work with these in a variety of ways. We can um, we can train by working with one guideline a week for four weeks and really try to uh, see what that's like. We can do it over a longer time. I once worked with a group where we worked with these guidelines for six months and really had them pretty integrated and internalized. You know, we can work with them for a month at a time and, so, and every morning make the intention, to, you know, first to be truthful or, or if it feels better to work with all of them, you can do that as well. And you can also apply these, as I mentioned last time. Um, we've used these in groups and organizations. And uh, I was part of an organization where we had, for all of our meetings, they agreed to follow these guidelines. And so they would have me get up before every meeting, talk about the guidelines for like for five minutes... <laughs> and then write them on the board, and they'd be staring at everyone the whole meeting time. You can also, I mentioned last time that I also, during that six-month training, I had the guidelines written right near my telephone. Telephone, this is, you know, before cell phones. But, you know, when there was a fixed telephone, you can put it on your cell phone, yeah. Put the guidelines on your cell phone in some way. And, you, you know, the telephone would ring, and I would go, truthful, helpful, good heart, good timing, hello. And you can do that. Uh, you can uh, actually had people. I brought in some things. People. Uh, one one person put this on a refrigerator. Consider, is my you know speaking expressed without harshness, well intended, beneficial, timely, and true? People put these on refrigerators. You know they um, make cards, and they've you know another one. Someone gave me. Uh, it was a set of questions, either put on a refrigerator or on a desk or somewhere. Is what I'm about to say true? Is what I am about to say helpful? Is what I am about to say kind? Is what I am about to say appropriate? So we can, you could put it on listservs. Have everyone, that would be a stretch, you know, doing some online group, agree to the guidelines. So you can work with it in a variety of ways and can be, can be really helpful. I, Again, I mentioned a woman with a teenage daughter. She wrote the guidelines in her hand for a difficult conversation, would stare at them as she was talking with her daughter. And it helped. Yeah. So the second foundation that I mentioned last time is uh, developing a sense of presence or mindfulness or awareness as we speak and as we listen. This is a little bit harder. We, you know, maybe a little bit harder to apply. You can actually work with it right now. What it involves is having some degree of inner awareness as we're listening and speaking. Body awareness is a very crucial support for this. And so for some of us, we may want to develop body awareness through yoga or qigong or walking meditation or, or regular formal meditation and it helps a lot uh, to develop this capacity. This is not a beginning capacity, but it's, also, it's still foundational. To have a sense of presence, what that means, of course, it helps us not to be so automatic when we're speaking. 
Because so often we just get into a kind of an automatic trance of speaking and we're not really aware, right? And that can, you know, sometimes not a problem. But when we get triggered, we just go automatically into reactive speech, right? And that is, can be a problem. And so developing some inner awareness means that we're, we're aware some of what's going on if I'm getting reactive. So I would actually do a mindfulness log at meetings sometimes and write down what was going on in my mind as I was, speak, as I was listening to the meeting, you know. Um, content, meeting going well, calm, peaceful. You know, then two hours later, tired, getting irritated, sarcastic thoughts developing in my mind, right? And so the ability to track those makes all the difference because it's less likely than just to automatically, reactively give the sarcastic thoughts, right? So this is a more challenging capacity. We worked with it some as a practice last time. And again, body awareness is really crucial. So for example, right now, again, you can have some body awareness, even 5 or 10% with the hands being where the hands or the connection with the chair can be helpful. That's how we train. We can train for that. So right now for me, I'm speaking and I'm also aware of my body, have an inner presence. You know, over the years I've trained to do that more and more. Right? And so it's possible to have inner awareness and outer awareness at the same time. When you're first training, it can feel a little bit awkward. Right? But you can train, just train right now by having 10 or 20% awareness of your body as you're listening. Again, the aim is that breaks kind of the automatic uh, quality of our minds just being on, you know, what, what's, what's the term from driving? Autopilot or... Yeah, something like that. Just the mind being on autopilot. We want to find ways to have a little more sense, sense of presence. And we can aim. And you can, again, the place to practice it is easier situations first. So you can practice it now. You're not, you don't have to say anything. You can have a little bit of awareness. You're at a meeting. Practice it by just developing awareness of the hands. 20% with the hands, 80% outward. That'll develop the capacity. And again, to since so much of it is really supported by uh, body awareness, if you don't have so much awareness of your body, that can really be a prime emphasis. Develop that again. You could develop it through walking meditation, yoga. I know when I was, I've sometimes said this, when I was first learning meditation, I was a student. So I was just thinking virtually 100% not much awareness of my body, even though I, at the time I was like a competitive athlete, right? I was a competitive swimmer. And so I was very much physical, but not very aware of my body. Maybe I didn't want to be so much for the practice sessions. But, and so for me, my, I was just 100% with the mind. And so it took some time to learn to be with the body. In fact, my first meditation practice and retreats were like a revelation. Oh, I can be aware of the body. Oh, it's a different experience. I can see a sunset just with my senses. Probably a lot of you have had this experience with meditation. Oh, you know, I'm just so much in my mind, but I can actually now see a sunset or be with the ocean and not be thinking all the time, which is, changes everything, right? How many can relate to that? Yeah. So it's, it's, an, on, it's an ongoing training.
So how to be with difficulties. Uh, two things. Uh, at the beginning, I think I'll give like five basic guidelines for, being, for bringing speech practice to difficulties. And I'll, I'll see if I end up with five. But it's really, really crucial. Um, the first is keep on practicing with the foundations of skillful speech where it's easier. It's kind of obvious. Like train in where situations are easier and develop your work with the ethical guidelines, develop the sense of being present, develop that where it's easier, get it stronger by developing where it's easier, and then bring it into more difficult circumstances. That's the basic model of all training. We develop things where, in relatively, at first, relatively protected environments, like here, you develop it, then you try to work in easier situations, and then you bring it into harder situations. And so it's helpful to really keep the foundations going. Um, second, I think, is to have, you know, to have an interest in difficult circumstances. Some of us are trained, or are conditioned, I should say, to not like difficult situations. I was conditioned that way. You know, let's have it going my way. Anyone have that conditioning? Okay, just a few people. I think most of us have it in some way. And so actually to have some interest in difficulties, especially the ones that are more workable, is very helpful. And I like to think of two uh, Tibetan sayings when I think about this, that uh, one of them goes like this. When the sun shines and my belly is full, I look like a Dharma practitioner. (laughs) But it is when troubles arise that my faults are exposed. (laughs) So, and then the second one, uh, also from the Tibetan tradition, transform all obstacles into the path of practice. Okay, so if those resonate with you, so at a certain point, now when we're first practicing, we just go for improvement. We don't worry so much about difficulties. We just look for the mind getting more peaceful, more relaxed. And if you're just beginning, don't worry about the difficulties. Just get it better. But at a certain point, we get interested in difficulties. And this is really crucial. That when we get interested in where we have challenges, it's actually, if we have, if we have some foundation, then our development can actually accelerate when we get actually interested. So be interested in the easier difficulties, so to speak. Is that a contradiction in terms, an easy difficulty? (laughs) Okay, but you know what I mean. Uh, In fact, it's helpful to have a sense of where, where it's workable to try to stretch yourself and where it's too much. Right? And go for the ones where it's, where it's easier to stretch and work with those. Now an interesting aspect about difficult circumstances is that the most difficult aspect of difficult speech situations doesn't have much to do with speech and communication. It has to do with our internal state. In other words, what makes situations difficult, typically, is that I become reactive or I become triggered. 
In other words, how we work with situations in which we're reactive is really crucial for how we can be skillful with difficult speech situations, right? And so uh, I mentioned that I had uh, taught a a retreat. I had co-taught a six-day retreat uh, earlier this month in New Mexico. And uh, my co-teacher and I, Oren Sofer, Oren J. Sofer, we found ourselves saying two-thirds of the training that we're giving at this retreat about skillful speech has nothing to do with speaking. Interestingly, it has a lot to do with practices for being with difficult states. What do you do with a difficult emotion? What do you do when the mind gets reactive? And there, we can look to our regular practice. There we, and so really focusing on how we can be with the mind when we're triggered, reactive, going into being judgmental, blaming. That becomes, if we can be skillful with that, that's, uh, that will help our speech practice tremendously. And the actual words we utter are going to be somewhat secondary to how it's basically how our mind is at a given moment. So we can come back to that, but that's a crucial point that such a large part of skillful speech in difficult situations is knowing what to do when your mind gets triggered or reactive, how to come back to balance, maybe having enough uh, wisdom to say this isn't a good time to speak because you know what's going on in your mind and so forth. And so how can we stay centered when we're reactive? That's a, a huge part of skillful speech and difficulties. And... Related to that, ground in the body. Try to find ways to come, to come back to center. Another key capacity in difficult situations is to develop the ability to listen carefully and have empathy when we're in difficult circumstances. And so I've sometimes taught here in empathy, but that's a crucial practice. Can I actually, when I'm when I don't like what someone else is saying or doing, can I not shut down my heart? Again, not easy. And so practicing empathy is a crucial part of practice, okay? So um, I've sometimes, I'm gonna, we're gonna do an empathy practice right now, okay? And you're gonna do it by being empathic towards me, okay? And we've done this practice sometimes, here it is. I'm going to speak for about two minutes And I want you to be empathic towards me. And this is a core practice that we can do. And I want you to tune in to two things. I'll just say that empathy is an innate capacity, but it also can be a practice. And the empathy practice that I've often taught here is to tune in to two things in the other person. You can also be empathic towards yourself, but especially towards the other. Tune in to what my emotions are and then what matters for me. Okay? So, ready for empathy practice? Okay. Okay. So, I want to... Okay, so, I'm going to... Let's see what I'm going to talk about. Okay. Okay. So, I'm going to talk, and I want you to just get a sense of what my emotions are and what uh, matters for me. Okay? So, 
I really like uh, talking about speech practice and exploring it. And I was, I was really, at the retreat, I was really inspired. And I sometimes would say, Donald, you should listen to what you're saying. Or you should listen to what this guy is saying and follow some of these practices a little more. And so I got inspired. And I'm particularly inspired by empathy practice because it's, uh, you know, having the intention each moment in interacting with someone to have empathy and come out of kindness is so um, simple and goes such a long way. And so I got really excited and I've been following it since the retreat. I mean, I follow it generally pretty well, but I think it's a question always of how to, how to improve. So um, I was excited, I've continued it, and it was really, it was really, um, really nice to just have a refresher, partly in teaching. So, you know, in teaching, we're not just, you know... Um, being experts and passing it on, but we, you know, like I often say, even here I say, you should listen to what that guy is saying. Okay, okay. cut. Okay, so what were some of the emotions? You can just speak up. What, what emotions did you hear? Joyful. Joy. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Compassion. Compassion. Anxiety. Surprise. Surprise. I, I, I check in with the anxiety later, I know. <laughs> Okay, but sometimes someone can be empathic about something that I don't notice. That's interesting, right? Please. Blaming. What? Blaming. Blaming? Oh, some, was it, okay, well, we'll just take, blaming mine is not really an emotion. Okay, that would be more like, uh, you know, that could come, come in later, but yeah. Any, one or two more? Guilt. Gosh, I didn't realize I had guilt and anxiety. <laughs> and okay. 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 You will have to process this af- afterwards. <laughs> yearning. yearning. Okay. So, so I think those, those were very good. So you were tuning in and you were telling me something that I was not fully aware of. And we'd have to look into them a little bit more. Okay. And then what matters for me? These would be sort of values. What? Passion, yeah, uh, really the the whole area, you know, really keeping on developing, yeah, yeah. What? Being of service, yeah. Kindness matters, yeah. Learning and developing, yeah. Enthusiasm, yeah, probably more of an emotion, but uh, probably we we would say that matters to me. That maybe the enthusiasm probably would fit more in the emotion category. If we were doing training in this, we'd be a little more, I'd give you more uh, guidance on that. Yeah. Listening. listening. Yeah, listening to others. Sharing what you know with others. Yeah, sharing what I know with others, sharing it here. So, see, um, you are very good empathically. But like mindfulness, what's difficult is to keep on being empathic. And to keep on, to do that, especially when it's difficult. It's very hard to listen. One of the exercises we do is when you are with a difficult situation with another person, often the empathy breaks down or just we, we get polarized. Maybe an hour later when you're on your own, can you try to say what matters for that person and what were the person's emotions? It'll be illuminating if you do that. And we can, you know, if we were, maybe next time we can actually do that practice together. Okay? So, let me see if I have anything else. Um, yeah, those, those are some of the guidelines to 
um, have an interest in difficulties to train with the easier ones first, to work with, uh, especially with uh, practices to work with one's own reactivity, develop deep listening and empathy as much as possible. And then the last one is to really lead with the intention in a difficulty to understand and to um, connect with another person as opposed to simply to win or get your way. That's really a difficult one, isn't it? Do I really have the motivation to understand this other person or is the other person just an obstacle in my way? Right, so that's, that's, but having the, you know, and of course, in a difficulty, often the intention to understand or connect goes out the window pretty quickly, okay? So I want to do a practice, one more practice now, and then we'll talk together. So get into a dyad with one person. Do that right now. Introduce yourself and then sit. Sit in a way that you could be for six or seven minutes. Okay, raise your hand if you uh, don't have a partner. Uh, Raise your hand if you don't have a partner. Adrian, we have someone up here. Okay. Okay, uh, Adrian, you can just join a group of three, a group of two, and form a, make a group of three. Okay. So here are the instructions. Yeah. I haven't given the instructions yet. And as we did last time, we're going to each have a chance to speak for about two, two and a half minutes, pretty briefly. In that speaking, one person will speak, another person will listen. And the instructions are going to be to talk about content and also focus on the process. That's, that's what we did last time. We emphasize focusing both on a specific content that you're talking about and on how you are uh, in terms of process. So the process we're going to focus is on being present. We'll work with that again. See if you can be present as you're listening, as you're speaking. As a listener, that's not as hard. You can listen. You don't have anything to say. You can do body language and uh-huh, you know, and all that. But you don't have to say anything. So try to keep your awareness in your body some. Keep some inner awareness. 10%, 20%, maybe even half inner awareness and half listening. Again, it'll feel a little awkward till you get the hang of it. After a while, it feels natural. Okay? That's the process. The content is... Um, how describe a challenging speech situation of a moderate level. You know, I sometimes say, think of a degree of difficulty like they're Olympic divers, one to ten, and think of something maybe in the four or five or six. You know, maybe a difficult, little difficult interaction at work or something like that or with a relative, family member, okay? So think of that 
And the reflection I want you to do in a short time is say what's difficult about it and say how you might be more skillful. Okay, so think about that. Think of what situation you want to pick. We'll take a minute or so just to think about what each person will have a chance. Think of what situation you're picking, what makes it difficult, and how you might be more skillful. I'll have about three minutes or so. Don't start yet, though. Just, this is just to reflect on your own right now. Not, not talking yet. Okay, anyone need more time? Okay. So decide who will go first. First means speaking first. Okay. Okay. Raise your hand if you're going first. Okay. And we'll work as we did last time with the factor of intention, which is really crucial. So I want us to, both both parties, again, the listener, try to really keep some sense of presence and listen at the same time. For the speaker, if you have a little bit of presence, that's okay. Maybe just 5%, 10% with your hands. If that's too hard... Just do the speaking, okay? So set your intention for this. And I'll ring the bell to start for the first speaker in 10 seconds. Set your intention. Okay. So first speaker. About a minute left. Make sure you get to how to be skillful.
finish up in whatever way you'd like. Uh, thank your partner. So finish up. Thank your partner. And then in a moment, we'll switch. So have the first speaker finish up and we'll come back into silence for a moment. Again, thank, make sure you thank your partner. And then uh, switch, uh, speaker becomes listener, listener becomes speaker. And remember, remember as, we, as we're switching now, uh, yeah, the group of three... Um, the most, yeah, um, they just take two minutes each, I guess, yeah. You did your best, okay. So now, um, now we're switching, and again, we want to set intentions. So again, for the listener, it's to have some inner presence. See if you can maybe even have 50% inner attention, 50% outer listening. For the uh, speaker, focus on your content area, but see if you can keep some degree of inner presence. Could be 10%, 20%, maybe just a little bit of awareness of your hands, your body. Okay? So set your intention, and I'll ring the bell to start in 10 seconds for the second speaker and listener. Okay. So about one more minute, uh, make sure you're getting to how you would be more skillful in the speaking.
So finishing, finishing up. And then uh, in whatever way you'd like, thank your partner. And let's come back to the whole group. So we have about, uh, about 10 minutes or so just to share whatever may have come up, any observations, as well as to ask any questions in general. And so just recognizing that the whole area of skillful speech is a big area and working with difficulties, uh, we, could, we could actually uh, work together and do a um, six-week training on all this uh, where we were doing it nine to five every day and we would just begin to scratch the surface. <laughs> or maybe we'd scratch the surface. But okay, So it's a lot. So let's use the microphones. Anyone want to share anything that happened or any insight that you had from your reflection? Uh, any question of any kind? So we'll use the mic. So we have someone on. And let's, why don't we say our names again? Anne, on, on your left, there's a... Uh, yeah, I just had a question. And your name? Jesse. Jesse, right. Yeah, something came up for me as I was sharing around. Okay. I realized that I kind of would make one of two decisions in this situation of either being um, reactive or avoidant. And um, yeah. I hadn't spoken much about avoidance, but I was curious how that plays into right speech. Like you mm -hmm. feel very passionately about something or hurt and then you don't bring it up. That's a great, it's a great question. Uh, and um, in a full training on skillful speech, we would also explore our approach to what we call conflicts. And uh, most of us have a lot of conditioning around conflicts. The, probably the majority of us here have conditioning to be avoidant of conflicts and to not like them. How many of us have that conditioning? Well, look around, right? And so were we to you know, go further with this, we would actually look at conflicts. And I think in the past, I've sometimes given talks on that. And I actually just uh, a little over a week ago, I did a one-day training on working with conflict. So we would want to, and I'm doing one here in May, I think, a two-day training. But we would want to look at our conditioning. And for many of us, the conditioning around difficult situations, conflicts, and so forth, would to be avoidant. So we have very strong tendency to think, ugh, let's get out of here, right? And, and so we'd have to look at that conditioning some. Again, the way to test it out, we'd, we'd want to know that that's our conditioning, and we want to test out uh, going into lower-level, less difficult conflicts or difficult situations and just deliberately go into them, even if it feels uncomfortable. It will, if we have that conditioning, we, it will feel uncomfortable. But so, and so choose the ones that we think are lower in terms of degree of difficulty. Choose the th twos or threes or fours in terms of difficulty. Now, sometimes we make uh, wrong assessments, and what we think is a three becomes a nine very quickly. <laughs> That's what we found, but does that like, start to get at it? So mostly look at the conditioning and stretch in the easier situations. Okay, thanks. Good, great question. 
Other, anything in terms of what came up when you were looking at the situation, questions about that or just observations you want to share with the group from your experience? Yeah. Let's also say our name. Hi, my name is Barbara. Yeah. I found that it feels very uh, intimate to listen deeply. And, yeah. Um, that's really new for me. I always thought that I was a decent listener. Yeah. Um, but it's very different when I'm trying to uh, pick up on what's important or what the person is feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great, great observation. How many can relate to that? That actual listening and being empathic, let's say, with another is, very, is intimate in a certain sense. And that, um, for example, if we're really interested in what matters for someone and what emotions that person is, is experiencing, we're actually recognizing this being as uh, you know, as a human being who deserves respect and has um, his, her, their uh, own um, inner life values, and in a sense, we're saying that your experience matters for me, and I want to know what it is, and that's intimate. And we may we may not have even had that level of intimacy with partners of many years, right? Sometimes, you know, so it is, you're at least in that way. So it is actually a very, uh, it's intimate in a certain sense, you know, that we're really uh, interested in the other person's experience. You know, that's, this speech practice goes in that direction. We're interested in the other person's experience and that very simple uh, intention is, uh, is like going into an intimate territory. That's, it's interesting, isn't it? Do I want to be intimate with the person with whom I have a conflict? Usually, no. <laughs> you are an obstacle for me getting what I want. You know, um, as my sister would say, be a better person. <laughs> Sorry, I hope that was, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, please. Get in up front. My name's Kathleen. Yeah. I w- as a listener, yeah. I w- started in my body. Yeah. And because our, the person I was talking to, the empathetic feelings I had for her, you know, the situation was so much the same as what I've experienced yeah. that my mind went from my body right to my head and yeah. I was thinking, oh, this is just like what happens to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then I had to come back down into my body again Mm -hmm. and I forgot all about what matters to her I forgot about that thought which is so important now that you have reiterated it yeah so so, uh, great observations uh, and you can see why this is a training right and what you're finding you know when we do this a hundred times or a thousand times just to know it's very natural, of course, you're listening to someone, something resonates with your own experience, and you're listening to someone, but you start thinking about your own experience. It's good to know that. Of course, it's valuable to reflect on your own experience, but if you do that while the other person is talking, and you do that for half the time the person is talking, you won't be listening. 
And so, so it's good to be, have the mindfulness to know, oh, I'm going to think of myself, but I, I can do that later. Let me listen, right? Something like that. So the inner awareness, so great, that's great training. But we have to do it, like I said, a hundred, a thousand or more times and just keep doing it, yeah? Please. I'm Tara, and um, I love this exercise. I wish every conversation was an exercise. Um, <laughs> along the lines of, of intimacy, I was the listener, and I was in my body, and what I noticed was eye contact. Yeah. I was allowed in this situation to have eye contact, yeah. but most of the time, we're walking, we're eating, we're drinking, we're not looking at each other. Yeah. And so I f- it was very powerful when I realized I was having eye contact with this person. Yeah. It was full body listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just this very simple practice that we were doing of listening with all your attention, or at least having that intention to listen with all your attention, uh, something that we may not have done with people we've known for 30 years or 50 years, right? It's very, it's very powerful. And to be there fully without you know, an agenda other than to listen and to listen in all the different ways through all the senses. It's a very simple practice, but yeah, like you're saying, it's quite deep. You know, like Barbara was saying, really some different version of something similar, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, up, up front and again. Uh, I think maybe uh, last one. Yeah. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead on this one, but I was just reflecting on a different... Maybe... And your name? Oh, Kathleen. Kathleen? Yes. Okay. And I was reflecting on a difficult situation. Um, I guess it's probably on the higher end. But if somebody's talking and I really do want to listen and care, and then they start going down a road that's really negative and shaming somebody else that you know and like. Yeah. And they're really starting to be like almost, for lack of a better word, throwing up on you. Yeah. Really starting to say very negative, bad bashing about someone else. And I'm not comfortable with it. So my listening shoots out the window. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I can't hear this. I don't know if blocking it is is not true listening because I don't want to hear or if they're starting to go down a negative yeah, path yeah. and blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah, of course, a great, a great question. And um, we could go in a few different directions with that. A lot's going to depend on the nature of the relationship. Okay? A lot of this is going to be context-dependent. But you know, we could, and maybe we can do this. I'm going to come back uh, for several sessions in a row. Maybe we could actually do that, do some, do some role plays. So a few things come to mind. Um, this is, you know, again, this is, pro- this is probably not our level three, four, five. This is getting up towards the eight, nines, tens. So we just want to acknowledge that. So what could be helpful there? A few things could be helpful. It's going to depend, first of all, it's going to depend on what's happening inside with you. Can I be relatively centered or am I really reactive? And if you're really reactive, you might actually not want to act and say anything. And you might want to say something like, you know, I'm feeling uh, troubled. Could, could we just have a pause or could we take a break for a while? You know, something like that, which is going to work with some people better than with others. <laughs> right? So you want to check out your own internal state, number one. And then um, 
if you're and if you've practiced empathy some very advanced practice would actually to be empathic towards the other person in other words not focus so much on the negative things being said but say you know i'm i'm hearing that you really experience a lot of frustration with this person and imagine you want it to go more smoothly right so sometimes the empathy can really um, not go down the negative route and brings it back to the lived experience of the person. This person is basically blaming and judging to talk about a difficult experience that that person is happening, right? But if you can empathically connect, not easy, you have to practice, we have to practice this a lot, not easy. If you can empathically connect and, and say, I'm, I'm really hearing a lot of frustration here, and I imagine you know, that's very difficult with that person and that you really want it to go more smoothly. And the person says, yeah, and it's just, you know, this person is so, and just, you know, and, and you can come back with more empathy. Yeah, it's really frustrating for you. I hear that. You know, you can, one, we, when we teach the retreats, we integrate the material from uh, Nonviolent Communication developed by Marshall Rosenberg. It's a very nice book, which is in the bookstore, called by that name, and has wonderful chapter on empathy. And you can see empathy brought into actually way more extreme situations than you're describing in a successful way even life-threatening situations where a person was able to be empathic. You know, quite, quite remarkable. So that takes, this takes a lot of training, right? It takes being aware of the inner state and then having the ability to be empathic. When, when it's a little easier when they're dumping on someone else, when they're dumping on you really hard. <laughs> oh, I hear you're having a lot of, frust- you're, a lot of frustration. <laughs> I'm hearing that. And you'd like it to be better with us, Right. Yes. <laughs> right, so, um, and then, you know, if, if that doesn't work, then the, a third recourse might be to come back, maybe say, some, you know, again, this depends on your being fairly centered yourself. And if you're not centered, then you want to do something else. But if you're centered, you might say, you know, I'm really hearing a lot of frustration, and I know that this is important to you, but the way that you're saying it, I'm, especially towards someone I know is painful for me, you know, and I'd really like to, it's just not working for me to listen right now, and I really want to, you know, hear your frustrations, but in a way which didn't, you know, maybe wasn't blaming the other person. or some, Maybe even that could be triggering, but to say basically this is painful for me, could we, could we come back another time? It's not working for me, and I, I don't want to continue. And I just got yelled at and hung up on when I what? tried. It didn't work. I mean, I tried to say, I, I, this isn't, I, I can't hear this right now. It was more, I came, it came back where I got name called, name called, name hung up. Oh, so it's on the phone. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's, yeah, harder. All of this is harder on the phone because we don't have as many cues. And, you know, in person, it's harder to hang up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I I, I it happens, but that, so that's hard. So, yeah, and the, the other thing, I'm, I'll just finish with one or two thoughts because we're over time. Uh, we can be extremely skillful in our speech practice and be, just do a lot of very positive things. It doesn't guarantee that the other person will be responsive at all. The other person can be highly reactive, and no matter what I say, the person continues to be reactive. So just to know that, that none of what we're doing here guarantees what the other person will do. 
be nice if it did, but it doesn't work that way, <laughs> right? So, and then, um, and so there will be times like that when you're as skillful as possible and you still get hung up on. So just to know that. And then, you know, I think the more we can be empathic at the same time that we say, this isn't working for me, that's going to help some. But again, not going to guarantee anything. So, yeah, um, and one of the things I love about the, when we do the retreats is that we actually do, like, I think the first two-thirds of the retreat on foundations, and then the last third on applying it to difficulties. And we do a lot of role-playing, like extended role-plays. <laughs> you know, where, okay, you play. You play the person who triggers me. <laughs> Here's what you do. And we go, we, we don't go into some of the upper level difficulties. So maybe we can do that here because we'll have a few sessions. How many would like to continue with the speech practice? Um, how many are ready for another topic? It's okay. <laughs> okay. So you'll have to te- either teach us or do more work. <laughs> okay. So let's... Um, how many of you would like to take the next week to uh, focus on speech practice? Okay. okay, that's great. So set your intention for the next week and also um, um, ask yourself, what's going to help me remember for the next week? What's going to help me remember every day to bring the speech practice in? So just reflect on your intention and what will help me remember. And then we close in the uh, typical way, very traditional way, with the dedication of merit. May our practice here and our explorations be a benefit for ourselves, be a benefit for those in our lives and the larger world. And ultimately, may our time here be of benefit to all beings in known and mysterious ways. May this be of benefit to all beings, which includes us. So, to be continued, and thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.